Well, hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Resurrection City Church. My name is Julie, and I'm one of the pastors here. And I'm just so glad that you're here with us this morning. I'm glad that you survived the state fair traffic if you came from one of the directions where you had to encounter that. Uh, I'm just really glad to be able to worship God together this morning. So if you're just joining us, we have been in a series this summer on the book of 1 Corinthians. And 1 Corinthians is a letter that was written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Corinth. And we've called this series Becoming Who We Are because a lot of what Paul is doing in this letter is saying, hey, I want you to remember who you are in Jesus, that he has made you holy, he has made you pure, uh, and now I want you to actually live like that is true in your life. And so that's really what we've been talking about a lot uh, this summer and through this series. And oftentimes in my notes, when I'm getting ready for my sermon, if there is something from the previous uh, sermon or previous section of scripture that I feel like it's helpful to be reminded of before jumping in, I will, like, shorthand for myself, I'll just write previously on, <laughs> because if you were um, born in the, in the 2000s, you might not know this because you grew up with streaming services, but for those of us who did not, when we were watching TV, if there was an, uh, the next episode, if there was something that you needed to remember from the previous episode that you saw a week ago, uh, because you couldn't just binge it all in one time, they would have this little previously on section at the beginning of the episode. And I personally really love these. I, it's kind of something I, I miss with streaming. I know in streaming, a lot of people just like skip it if they're streaming an old show. But I think it can be really helpful, and I think it can be really helpful uh, when we're reading scripture. So because this book is a letter, and because the last chapter kind of left us with a little cliffhanger, uh, I wanted to include that last verse uh, from chapter 12 before we jump into chapter 13. So... The last, chapter, or last verse in chapter 12 said, but now let me show you a way of life that is best of all. So in chapter 12, Paul was talking to the Corinthians about how to think about their spiritual gifts and how to use them within the body of Christ. And he ended it by saying this. He's saying, I want to show you a better way to think about your spiritual gifts and how you use them within the church. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to jump straight in. I'm going to read chapter 13 and pray for us, and then we will uh, hop into our message. So chapter 13, uh, verses 1 through 13. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and I give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. 
When I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only as a reflection in a mirror, then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we get to come together this morning to worship you, knowing that the only way we even know what love is or we can talk about love or attempt to love others is because you have loved us first. And we've seen that uh, in the way that you sent your son Jesus to live and die and be raised again. So Lord, as we talk about how to love one another well, will you help us to look to you first and foremost uh, as we do that? In your name we pray. Amen. Okay, so again, previously on, going back to chapter 12, Paul is responding to this question that the Corinthians had about their spiritual gifts. And because it's a letter and we only get one side of it, it's like hearing one side of a phone call, we don't know exactly what the question was, but it seems to have to do with uh, the fact that the Corinthians were really, really into the spiritual gift of speaking in tongues or speaking in unknown languages. And it seems like the reason that they were really into this particular gift is because it made them feel extra spiritual, right? They could show it off to people, made them feel like they had arrived. And remember, we talked about this in the beginning of the series, Corinth was like the New York or the LA of the ancient world, right? You didn't move to Corinth because you wanted to settle down and have affordable rent. (laughs) You moved to Corinth because you wanted to be somebody. You wanted to make something of yourself. And now these people in the Corinthian church, they've become Christians, they've become to follow Jesus, but some of that desire to make something of themselves is still there, right? We can relate to that. When we come to follow Jesus, there's a lot of these old desires that we have that kind of still come up from time to time. And so these Corinthians, they wanted to sort of make something of themselves as spiritual people. They wanted to be somebody within the church. And Paul says, Look, speaking in unknown languages or even performing miracles or whatever kind of gift you can come up with, those actually aren't the true mark of having the Spirit. There might be something that comes from having the Spirit, but it's not the true mark of having the Spirit because that true mark of the Spirit is love. So today we're going to highlight three reasons why Paul is saying the true mark of the Holy Spirit is love. We're going to talk about how love lasts how it puts others first, and how it's shown most clearly in Jesus. So let's start with the fact that love lasts. So how many of you have ever been overwhelmed by trying to make a decision? Yeah, if you're not putting your hand up, I'm like amazed because this is the world we live in, right? Every decision we have to make has like 13,000 options you can choose from, and it can be really easy to be overwhelmed by those things. And one of the things that I tend to get overwhelmed uh, when making decisions, one of the things I tend to get stuck on is thinking about, like, if I want to buy something, is this thing going to last? Like, is it going to be worth the money I pay for it, that it's actually going to last long enough for me to really feel like I got my money's worth out of it? Probably the worst example of this is that it took me an entire year to decide on a dining room table. And Joel continues to make fun of me for this. I will... uh, defend myself that it was also 2020, so I'm going to say I had other things on my mind. It was not like a top priority. 
Um, but we needed a new table. Our dining table had been one that had been handed down from a friend. It was kind of, the legs were very unstable. Um, but the thing I kept thinking about as I was looking at tables, it was like, I want to make sure that this is going to last, right? I'm picturing meals around this table with friends and with all of you and with family. And I wanted it to be something that was really going to last for a long time. I wanted to feel good about it, that it was going to last into the future. And this type of forward thinking about what's going to last is what Paul is encouraging the Corinthians toward. But he's thinking way further into the future than what I'm thinking, right? He's thinking into the future when Jesus comes back in the life that is to come. And he says, what's going to last? He says, love never fails. Where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they'll be stilled. Where there's knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when completeness comes, so when Jesus comes, when the world's made new, what is in part disappears. And these things will remain, faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love. So Paul's making the point that these spiritual gifts, things like prophecy, speaking in tongues, knowledge, these are gifts for the here and now, for this life. But when Jesus comes back and everything is made new, we won't need these things anymore. And you can notice that he isn't just picking on the Corinthians in this, right? He picks gifts that he's good at, things like prophecy, or maybe that would be kind of like our modern equivalent of like teaching. Uh, But he also is picking the things that the Corinthians are really, really focused on, like speaking in tongues. And he's saying, no matter what gift you choose that's like kind of your thing that you're very excited about, these spiritual gifts aren't necessarily going to last into the future, We won't need teaching and prophecy because we will be with God and we will know him personally. Scripture says that he will be our God and we will be his people. And we won't need to speak in unknown languages to help others know about Jesus because everyone will know God. Scripture says every knee will bow and tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. And we won't need the gift of knowledge because, again, we'll be with God and everything will be as it was originally created to be. So these spiritual gifts won't be needed anymore, and therefore they won't last into the future. But he does say there are some things that will last. lists faith, hope, and love, and love being the greatest one. One theologian uh, named N.T. Wright, he calls love God's bridge to the future, which I feel like is just a very grand uh, way of expressing it. But it's true because this love is going to be one of those things that helps us bridge the gap between here and now, where we still live in a broken world, to the future when Jesus returns and everything is made new. And all this talk about the future also helps bring out another point for the Corinthians. This idea of arriving or being successful in life is not really all that there is. Like I said, the Corinthians really wanted to make something of themselves in this life, in the here and now. They wanted to be famous. They wanted people to know them. And Paul is saying, all of that attention, all of the things that you think speaking in tongues and having these big spiritual shows of gifts is going to get you, isn't something that actually matters in the life to come. Because this world is not our true home. We wait for something even better when we wait for Jesus to come back to be reunited with him in all of his glory. We wait for a world that is going to be made entirely right, where there's no more death, no more tears, no more suffering. But when you're so focused on the here and now and trying to live your best life now, 
it can be really hard to remember that there's more to our lives than just today. And it doesn't give you a whole lot of room to focus on things that will remain or that will last, like faith, hope, and love. But these things that last, they're actually the true markers of the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit actually marks us as people who are not just for this world, but are for something greater. And Paul talks about this in another letter to a different church, actually. So in the letter of Ephesians, he says, When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. So the Holy Spirit itself is something that helps us remember that this is not our final destination, that, that we are just, we have the down payment for our true home that is coming in the new heavens and the new earth. And so because that's true, it makes sense that love, something that will carry over into the new heavens and new earth, is something that's a true mark of the Holy Spirit because it's something that lasts. Then the second thing we see about Paul talking about why love is something that's going to um, be the true mark of the Holy Spirit is that love puts others first. So last week, again, we talked about how the Corinthians were really making their spiritual gifts all about themselves. They weren't speaking in tongues because they wanted to serve other people or help other people know about Jesus. They were doing it because it made them feel good about themselves. And here's another reason why it matters uh, to remember the like previously on mentality of scripture, right? Because I'm guessing that when you read this passage, First uh, Corinthians 13, maybe you've heard it before. Maybe you've seen it on inspirational posters like this. This is one of the very first images that popped up when you Google it. Um, maybe you've heard it read at weddings. Maybe you had it read at your own wedding. And if you did, that's great. It's got so much good advice for marriage in this passage. But when you think about the context of the letter of 1 Corinthians, you can pretty quickly see that Paul is not just like pulling these ideas about what love is from the air. He is talking about them uh, in a way that sort of points out how the Corinthians are not doing the things that are loving. So he actually uses words and phrases that he's used at other points in the letter. And so he's kind of using this as a way to sort of roast the Corinthians a little bit. So when he says, love does not boast, it should take us back to the very first chapter of 1 Corinthians, when Paul is telling the Corinthians not to get caught up in boasting about wisdom and power. If they want to boast, they should boast only in the Lord. When he says that love is not proud, we should be thinking of all the times that Paul calls the Corinthians arrogant, which is actually quite a few in this letter. Uh, in chapter 4, verse 18, he says, some of you have become arrogant. In chapter 5, he says, your boasting and your pride about the man in your church who is sleeping with his mother-in-law is not good. In chapter 8, he says, knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Those who think they know something do not yet know as they ought to know. Even going on, when he talks about not dishonoring others, he's using the same word that he's used in chapter 7 when he talks about how People should, not, uh, people should get married if they're going to let their lust dishonor other people. So this passage about love is not just like a cute little inspirational poster that Paul thought, hey, I'm just going to tuck this into this letter because it's just going to make them feel good and, you know, who doesn't love love? He's using this as a rebuke to the Corinthians. He's saying, 
hey, this is what love looks like, and it's not you, right? You are not living out love in this way. And throughout the letter to the Corinthians, we've seen that the Corinthians continue to put their own interests first, often at the expense of other people around them in the church. They don't care if they're causing other people to stumble in their faith. They don't care if other people around them are sinning. They don't care if they're treating some people as better than others and creating social hierarchies. And Paul's saying, that is not love. And it's certainly not the mark of the Holy Spirit. Instead, he says, love puts others first. He says, love is patient. It's not self-seeking. It doesn't keep a list of wrongs. And it doesn't do things at other people's expense. Instead, love protects others. It puts others first. It perseveres in relationship with one another, even when things are difficult. And I think because we like this passage so much at weddings, it's often easy to think about this in terms of love as like romantic love, right? This is what romantic love should look like. But that's not what Paul's talking about in this context. He's talking about love within the church community. So he's saying we're called to show this kind of radical love, radical others-focused, putting other people ahead of our own interests, love, to one another within the church. And honestly, I think sometimes that's almost harder for us to get on board with because when it comes to marriage, we might feel at least like we're a little bit more in control, right? We get to choose who we want to marry. And even though marriage can be difficult, we at least feel like, well, I chose this, right? I said, I want to put this person first. I want to love this person no matter what. But in a church community, you didn't handpick all of us. You may have picked one or two. Maybe you, had, you knew someone who went to this church and thought, hey, I'll check it out because I know them. But even if you like them, chances are they are not the same as everybody else in this community. So the idea of putting everybody else first above your own interests within the church is actually a true challenge for us because I think it, it can make us feel a little bit outside of our own control. It's not just the people that we choose that we want to love, but it's a whole community that we get to love together. Because we are called to show love to everyone and put all, uh, all of the other people's interests ahead of our own. Now, when I'm thinking about this passage uh, and thinking about this idea of putting other people's interests ahead of ours, not keeping a list of wrongs, um, that kind of a, an idea, I felt like we needed to have a little side conversation about boundaries. Because if you didn't grow up hearing this passage at weddings or seeing it on inspirational posters, this can sound a little bit radical, right? I'm sure there are some people outside of the church who might read something like this and think, wow, that sounds a little unhealthy. Do these people have any boundaries at all? You might even say, that sounds kind of a little bit like a cult. And so let me start by saying that I think boundaries are good, right? They help us remember that we are not God, that we cannot be everything, we cannot be everyone, we cannot uh, constantly be pouring out of ourselves. We have limits, we're finite. And I think that when used correctly, boundaries can help us remember that we might be limited, but our God is unlimited, and it can really help us to worship him. I also wanna say that if someone is continually hurting you, whether physically or emotionally or whatever, then yes, boundaries are 100% needed. 
If there's any kind of abuse happening, then absolutely you should not have to stay in that type of environment. I know that there have been a lot of horrible things done to people, including within the church. And none of that is okay. That kind of behavior is not appropriate for anywhere, but especially not in a church. And in those situations, we would advocate for boundaries. We would advocate for church discipline. And I think even Paul himself would too, right? We saw in 1 Corinthians 5 that he advocated for church discipline when he felt like it was needed to put in boundaries in place. So there are definitely situations where boundaries are needed. And I've heard this passage used in the past in ways to sort of um, unhealthily tell people they need to stay in a situation that's not safe for them. And so just want to acknowledge that and say, that's not what Paul is saying here. So how, how do we think about that? How do we think about boundaries and this idea of loving and putting other people's interests above our own when there is an abuse happening, right? When it's just kind of the normal relationships with other people. And the way I like to think about it is I think boundaries should be used to help us love others, but not to get us out of loving other people. And I think this is a tricky line. So I want to give a couple examples of ways to think about this. So first, when we use our boundaries to create time to rest with God, right? Sabbath is super important. That's a positive thing. But we have to remember that those boundaries are not just for us or about us, but they're actually so that we can be filled by God and go out and love others well. Jesus gives us the pattern for this, right? He, in his ministry, he would retreat and spend time with the Father and then go back out so that he could love others and continue to do his ministry. And I think that we should use our boundaries similarly. We shouldn't use them just for ourselves or to get us out of having to do things that maybe are inconvenient for us or, um, you know, someone asks us to help out and we just don't really feel like doing it. We shouldn't use our boundaries for those types of reasons, but we should use them so that we can be filled up by God and continue to love others. The second thing I'm thinking about, the second kind of example or situation, is when maybe someone hurts your feelings and just kind of a normal way, right? It's not abusive. It's not anything um, extreme. It's just that someone did or said something that hurt your feelings or offended you in some kind of way. And I think our culture would tell us when that happens to like immediately put up a boundary, right? To back away or to create space, um, maybe to cut ties with that person or with that community if you feel like they have wronged you in some way. And again, sometimes that can be a healthy thing, but I think the downside is, is that if we always jump straight to saying, well, I don't, that person hurt me, I don't want to engage with them, we actually cut out the hard work and the, the time to engage in loving one another well. Because I think what we can do instead is have those hard conversations and work through it. Be able to say things like, hey, I felt hurt by what you said or did. And then you get a chance to practice apologizing to one another, accepting and giving grace to one another. You can practice not holding that list of wrongs when other people might offend you or hurt you in some way. These are all things that we might, again, going back to the idea of love being in marriage, these are all things we expect to happen in marriage because we all know that we're all sinners, we're all broken, and so we expect to have some kinds of times where we're hurting one another or breaking relationship. 
And in marriage, we say, well, you know, we want people to continue to have those hard conversations and work through it as long as it's a safe environment. And I think that has to be true for the church as well. We recently um, had a, a worship team meeting where we were just kind of talking through the getting ready for the fall and talking through things. And one of the team members brought up the fact that, like, you know, sometimes when you're up here doing worship or you're practicing and you're anytime you're on a team, really, there might be times where you have to give feedback to someone or say, hey, that did or didn't work. And sometimes when people give feedback, it can, you know, can kind of hurt your feelings a little bit. And so this person on the team was like, you know, I just want to say that, like, if I ever say something that offends you in any way or hurts your feelings, like, just tell me, right? Because he said, you can, I can know the fact that, like, I know you're not a jerk, but you might also still do something that's kind of jerky to me. And we all laugh because who doesn't know that feeling of saying, I'm not trying to be a jerk, but I accidentally did something that was kind of jerky to somebody else. And so as a church, we need to be able to work through those types of conversations uh, so that we can continue to practice loving one another well. And if we just back away at the very first sign of feeling hurt without having those types of conversations, we're actually making it really hard to love one another. And of course, there are situations where if you've tried to have those types of conversations and they haven't worked, you know, hopefully you've involved someone else in that process along the way as well. But if all of that is still not working, then yes, boundaries can be so good. Because in that case, what you're hopefully doing is backing away so that if the person does at some point come around to having those hard conversations, you're ready to still engage with them. So again, hopefully, these boundaries can be used as a tool to help us love one another rather than to get us out of having to, right? Instead of saying, well, I'm just going to put up a boundary and I don't have to deal with that anymore, right? Hopefully, it's something we can use to engage and love one another even better, to continue to put other people first, even when it might be difficult. And if you're still thinking, nope, that still sounds crazy to always put other people ahead of myself, why would I ever do that? It leads us well into our last point, and that is that love is shown most clearly in Jesus. Because Jesus loves us and puts us first, even though we don't put him first. In fact, the only way that we can even understand what love is, is through God. Because this type of radical love that is others-focused and not self-seeking, it's so different from anything else we experience in this world that it has to come from outside of it. It has to come from outside of us. It has to come from God. We see this in 1 John uh, verse, chapter 4, verses 7 through 10. It says, Dear friends, let us love one another for Love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. He says, this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. And I think that last verse does such a good job of describing what love is. It's not that we love God, and therefore he did something for us in return. Love is that we didn't love God. And he sent his only son to die on the cross as an atoning sacrifice for our sins, even in spite of the fact that we didn't deserve it. 
Love is seen most clearly in Jesus because Jesus didn't come and die for us because we earned it. In fact, it's the opposite. He comes in spite of us. We don't earn his love, and we can't earn it now. It's freely given. It's all a gift, and it's all grace. The Corinthians were so focused on speaking in tongues, partly because they thought it showed how spiritual they were. But the truth is that God doesn't care about that. God loves us no matter what. And because of that, as we get to know the character of God, and as we become more like him, we are called to do the same and to have the same attitude towards other people that Christ had towards us. Right? It's that what Paul describes uh, in the passage in verses 1 through 13. He says, If I speak in tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. Right? Those tongues don't mean anything if we don't have love. I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge. And if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Following Jesus means that we follow his ways. And his ways are not about big showy gifts or being someone, becoming someone. His way is all about love. Just think about what Jesus did for us. Right? When he's on the cross, he could have used his crucifixion as a place to show off his great gifts. Right? He could have used his power to come off of the cross. He could have used any of his gifts to show the, all the crowds that had gathered to show off how great he was. But he didn't. He chose to stay on the cross, to suffer on our behalf, and to take on the consequences of our sin. He chose to experience separation from God the Father and ultimately to die. And all of that is just because he loves us. He loves you. And he wants to be in relationship with you and for you to experience grace and new life. Jesus knew that, as Paul said, love is the best way that there is. And like I said at the very beginning of this message, we've called the series Becoming Who We Are, because we are people who have been given this great gift, this great gift of love by God, and therefore we want to live as if we actually believe that that's true in our daily lives. So if we're being formed by Jesus' love for us, then hopefully that means that we can go out and love one another as Paul calls us to in this letter. And I know that the idea of like, how do I get better at loving other people or how do I grow in love is a little bit abstract. It's not like an easy, like, oh yeah, I'm just going to wake up and be more loving today. And so I wanted to give, you know, there are lots of ways to kind of, to kind of step towards this, but I wanted to give some examples, um, one way that you could think about it today. Because I truly think that this love is so big, it's so different from anything else we experience from the rest of the world, that be, to be formed by it, to become more like it, we need to look to Jesus. We need to spend time reflecting on the love that God has shown us and so that we can actually have that same kind of strength and love others in a sacrificial way. Because it's not easy. Uh, and yet, at the same time, we know, as Paul said, it is the best way. So one of the ways I've been thinking about it lately uh, is through prayer. 
And a helpful tool, again, there's lots of different ways that you can pray, but one tool that is an easy one to come back to because it's an easy one to remember is called the Acts model. And it's just a tool to remember different things to pray for. So you could use this in a bunch of different contexts. But I thought it would be helpful to talk about as we think about how we want to reflect on God's love so that we can be more loving to those around us. So the Acts prayer is, uh, starts with adoration, so um, praising God, confession, thanksgiving, and then supplication. And supplication is kind of a strange word. If you're not familiar with it, uh, it's just when you're maybe asking God for something. Uh, I was reflecting on one of the songs, and I think we're singing it today, um, says, the, has a, a line that says, turn a gracious ear to me and hear my supplication. So if you've ever sang that one and wondered, I'm not really sure what that means. It just means to hear my prayers, to hear what I'm asking for. So I'll walk you through kind of my idea of, of what it is, what, how we could use this as a way to really reflect on God's love uh, through this model. So adoration. I've shared in the past that uh, I think it's really helpful for me to use different models of prayer, like modeling my prayer after the Lord's Prayer or using this Acts model, because it can be so easy in prayer to just jump straight to the last piece of supplication, right? It's so easy to just use prayer to be constantly asking God for things. And I don't think it's wrong to ask God for things, but I think we get an incomplete picture uh, of who God is when we don't see some of the other aspects of him as we go. So adoration. Uh, this is a time where you can just praise God for who he is, right? Just you can think about God's characteristics. Think specifically about his love and what he's done for us. And the Lord's Prayer starts, hallowed be thy name, right? God, you are worthy of praise and worship. You are the creator of everything. You're my savior and my king, and I praise you. It doesn't have to be anything crazy. It just helps us remember that God is a God of love, and gives us a chance to pause and praise him for that and reflect on that. Our lives are busy, and so when we can pause and take the time to actually think about these things, it can really help, uh, help form us in the way of God's love. The second piece, confession. Uh, this is just a time to acknowledge that you fall short, right? If we're thinking about it in terms of loving other people, I know every day I can think of ways that I have not been loving uh, in the way that 1 Corinthians 13 describes. Times where I have been impatient or times where I've been unkind or times where I've held on to something else that someone has done to me and, won't let, and kept that list of wrongs. And so this time of confession can just be a great place to acknowledge those things to God and be reminded that God's grace and God's love is bigger than any of our flaws. Any of our times that we fall short, God continues to love us. And this can be a great uh, piece of prayer to remember when you're working on uh, that piece that says, love does not keep a list of wrongs. Because it can be really challenging to continue to be mad at someone else for doing something to you, knowing that God has already forgiven you for the times that you do similar things like that. Third is Thanksgiving. Uh, again, this just helps us remember what God has done for us. It's a huge part of reflecting on God's love. The idea of remembering or remembrance is a huge theme throughout Scripture, especially in the Old Testament. The people of God were called so often to remember the acts of God, remember what he had done for his people. And I think that that's something that we also need to remember. We need to look back 
you know, we can look back big picture to the cross and what Jesus has done for us. We can also look back to smaller things in our own life. Maybe you have examples or things in, in your life where you can look back and point very clearly to know I really experienced God's love in that moment, through that situation, through that person. And you can thank God for that. And then the last one, supplication. This is probably the one, like I said, that we're most, most quick to jump to. But it can really uh, be important as we're trying to love other people. We talked about how love is the true mark of the Holy Spirit. So remember that in your prayers, right? Ask the Spirit to help you love others. Why not ask the Spirit to help you in maybe specific relationships that you have where you're having a hard time loving someone? Maybe you need help asking for patience for someone who can easily get on your nerves or forgiving someone who you, you've been hurt by. Or maybe you need to ask for contentment in your own situation so that you don't feel envious of others. Paul says that love does not envy. Or maybe you need to ask for humility so that you're not boasting and prideful to those around you. As Paul says, that love does not boast. There's so many ways that we might uh, ask God to work in us so that we can love others. And I just think it's important to remember that it's the Holy Spirit working in us. It's not something that we need to do all on our own. Because obviously we see all these characteristics of love uh, that we might ask to grow in, most clearly in Jesus. And we can only really know that love when we understand God himself. So I hope that this idea of praying, and again, you can use prayer in so many different ways, but just finding time to reflect on who God is and his love for us can really uh, bring us to be more formed into that type of person as we try to love others. Paul wanted to challenge and encourage the Corinthians to become more like Jesus, and he, want, he would want the same for us today as we encounter this letter. So we actually are going to add in a, um, another thing that we can do to remember God's love and hopefully be formed more like it uh, that we do every Sunday here at Resurrection City, and that is communion. So communion is a great place to use these different pieces of prayer as you're taking communion. It's a great way to remember what God has done for us, how he has shown his love for us most tangibly, and how we can ask him to help us do that to others as well. So I encourage you to use this time for reflection. Um, we're going to head into a time of worship through song and communion. You don't need to be a member at Resurrection City to take communion. We just ask that you are a follower of Jesus. So I'm going to pray for us, and we will head into that time of reflection. Heavenly Father, we do praise you for your love. We praise you that you are great, that you have always uh, been loving towards us, even though we don't deserve it. And we confess that we have not lived up to that standard. We have not shown love in the way that you have shown love to us. Whatever that is for everyone in this room this morning, Lord, I just pray that you would meet them in that, that you would meet them not in a place of shame, but with grace, to know that through that ultimate love that you have shown us on the cross, that we can confess our sins freely without needing to feel shame. And Father, we thank you for that. We thank you for this community that we get a chance to practice love with one another. Lord, and we ask that you would help us as we continue as a church community to love one another better. Show us ways that we can grow in putting others first around us and ultimately help us all be more formed by your love so that we can better represent Jesus to the world around us. In your name we pray. Amen.